Hi, and welcome to Follow Baptist Church's weekly message podcast. My name's Luke Williams, and I'm the lead pastor, and we're thrilled to have you joining us. We hope the message today inspires you and helps you follow Jesus in your community for His glory. Here's the message. Today's Bible reading is taken from Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 to 6. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Good morning, church family. Uh, my name is Craig, and I'm one of the elders here at Follow. Well, you know, you can't help but switch on the news nowadays and just have a look around and see how polarized our society is becoming. All over the world, actually. You know, when the Roman Empire crumbled, one of the dominant reasons was its own internal corruption, instability, and disunity. And we saw a society that began to break down into smaller and smaller groups, first into tribes, then families, and eventually everyone to themselves. Now that's a progression when society begins to crumble, uh, but it also is a progression when we actually see the church begin to crumble. Uh, see, we have this uh, unified body of Christ uh, that is pursuing Christ's mission together. Uh, and then eventually we see it start to break down into different denominations all following their own agendas. And often this will move to sub-tribes, forming into churches and perhaps even down into cliques. And we've seen this throughout all of history. I'm sure most of you can attest to having some painful memory of church disagreements or church splits. None of this is helped by the isolation we're currently feeling as a church as we deal with this COVID-19 virus. I uh, recently was discussing this coal analogy with the kids, talking about being part of the church and part of youth group and that. And some of you might have heard it. It has to do with this view of uh, uh, when you light the coals in a fire, when they're together, they generate lots of heat sufficient enough to warm you and uh, cook meat, etc., etc. But if you take one of those coals out and you put them alone on the side, uh, it very quickly goes out and loses all of its energy. And, you know, there's another, another way of looking at this is similar to lions when they hunt for their prey. Uh, they target the weak ones and they go through a concerted effort to actually separate the weak ones from the herd. Uh, and then they slowly take their time to bring them down and eventually kill them. This is the case with our enemy. 1 Peter says that we are to be watchful because our adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Our enemy wants us separated, divided, isolated, in fear and alone. He wants this especially for, his, for the church. He hates the church and the power it has through Christ. Since his fall from grace, he has been at war with the church. Revelation 12 says that he makes war on the church and those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. What better way to make war than to destroy from within, breaking down the unity that Christ brings? That is why God is so passionate about unity. From the beginning to the end of his word, the message we see over and over again is the family of unity, unity, unity. Where sin has separated and isolated us, Christ has united us. We see this over and over again in scripture. In 1 Corinthians, we are called to agree with one another and that there be no divisions amongst us. 
In Colossians, we're encouraged to bear with each other and forgive one another. In John 17, Jesus prays that we might be brought to complete unity. Philippians says to be of the same love and of one mind. The psalmist talks about how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. Romans talks about bearing with the failings of the weak and to live in harmony with one another. And to today, we get to this wonderfully rich chapter on unity in Ephesians 4. Here, God gives us the answer to this problem of disunity, a problem that has plagued the church throughout all of history. It is wonderfully simple to understand, but can be incredibly hard to put into practice. In chapters 1 to 3, Paul has laid down some great theological arguments for us. And now as we move into 4 onwards, he now shifts to the application of this theology in our everyday lives. Paul starts out by urging us to walk in a manner that is worthy of our calling, and then helps us to understand how we can walk in a worthy manner. First, from verses 1 to 16, he says we can walk in a worthy manner by walking in unity. And then from verses 17 to 32, he breaks it down and says we can walk in a worthy manner by walking in purity. Now, the general sweep of the unity verses, verse 1 to 16, can kind of be broken down like this. We need to exhibit certain character traits that help us to live together in unity. The Lord has given the church, apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers to minister and help us to attain unity. And these same gifted people will help us on our path to spiritual maturity and adulthood, giving us the ability to stand strong and to not to be tossed around by every wind of doctrine and human cunning and deceitful schemes. I'll be touching on the first few verses of the unity section today, and specifically the character traits that we all need to develop as we walk on this path to unity. Now, when I say church unity, what comes to mind? Well, comedian Emo Jones tells a joke of him walking across a bridge. Some of you might have heard this before. He sees a man standing on the edge, ready to jump off. Stop! Don't do it! He shouts. Why shouldn't I? The man replies. Well, there's so much to live for. Like what? Well, says Emo, uh, are you religious? Yes. Me too, says Emo. Are you Christian or Buddhist? Christian. Me too. Are you Catholic or Protestant? Protestant. So am I. Are you Methodist or Baptist? Baptist. Wow, me too. Are you Original Baptist Church of God or Reformed Baptist Church of God? Reformed Baptist Church of God. To which Emo replies, die heretic, and pushes him off the bridge. While it may seem like a funny religious joke, it's actually no laughing matter, because it's painfully close to the truth. You see, tragically, the church is often not displaying unity to a watching world. We argue more about what we disagree about than what we are united about. And we find ourselves breaking unity from the smallest differences and offenses. The doctrinal differences we have with others over primary theological matters are not trivial. Primary er errors like there are other ways to get to heaven besides Jesus, or that he is not divine in nature, or that you get a second chance after you die, you get a second chance to repent, or that there are other mediators between you and God and besides Christ. These are matters that we must refute and stand firm on the truths that counter them. However, 
Our differences over secondary issues should not keep us from recognizing the true unity we have with other believers in our churches. And you see some of those secondary issues, whether it's the way we worship, the clothes that we wear, how loud we sing, all of these things are considered to be secondary issues. I feel this unity when I walk into churches in different cultures and countries. Traveling around the world, I'm immediately welcomed into that church family. And that's really what it feels like, brothers and sisters. These are my brothers and sisters, other side of the world, and because we have Christ in common, we've got that unity, and it feels like I'm walking into my own family. So it's important that we recognize that Christ's church is bigger than just our local assembly. Fragmentation weakens the church, and the apostles knew it, which is why they continually dealt with this across and, and communicating this to the young Christian churches right throughout the New Testament. They knew that if the church was going to make an impact on the world, it needed guidance around how to operate as one body. Let's have a closer look at some of the character traits Paul says we need in order to walk in unity with one another. Let's read from our passage today, Ephesians 4, 1 to 3. I'll read it for you. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There are four traits that we need, according to Paul. Humility, meekness, patience, and bearing with one another. Now, having a daughter, I've had to endure a series of rags to riches princess diary movies, where a young woman is taken out of a rough upbringing and placed into riches and royalty. But as the saying goes, you can take the person out of the street, but you can't take the street out of the person. This was you and I, church family. Christ rescued us from the street. He has begun a work of sanctification in our lives, a work that he promises to complete. This work takes time. I remember how long it took me to shake foul language when I was converted. I was a work in progress, and eventually the Holy Spirit convicted me to tidy up my speech and get my tongue under control. This is what Paul is talking about here in the opening verses of, of chapter 4. To walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Brothers and sisters, we've been called to royalty. And not of our own doing, but all of Christ's doing, as we saw in chapters 1 to 3. We are now the adopted prince or princess that have been taken off the street. But we still have those rough character traits that need to be ironed out. Like most character traits, they are shaped through practice over time. And when it comes to church unity, they must be practiced within the church, not just for the outside world to see. And that's what Paul is specifically focusing on, practicing these within the body of the church. Just like exercise and practice grows our physical muscles, so too will practice grow our character muscles. Paul says in Romans that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. Clearly, we can't do this by ourselves, which is why Paul says in verse 7 of Ephesians 4, grace has been given to us. And verses 11 to 17, apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. These are all our instructors who help us on this journey to maturity. 
Let's look at the first character trait that Paul lists, humility. Some years ago, I heard a statement about humility that really stuck with me. It said, humility is one of those things that when you find out you've got it, you no longer have it. So my follow-on question to this is, well, if you lose it when you get it, how do you know how to get it and keep it? Paul does a great job of answering this in Philippians 2, where he describes Christ's example of humility. After talking about unity, as we see he does a lot of, he goes on to say, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. There it is, a good piece of practical advice. Putting others before yourself. Not always an easy thing to do. The opposite of this is putting yourself ahead of others. And this is known as pride, where you have an exaggerated sense of your own importance. Corrie ten Boom had a great remedy to pride. When people came up to her and gave her a compliment like, Corrie, well done, was a great talk. Um, what she did was she, um, she took each of their remarks and she cherished it as a little flower. And at the end of each day, she'd lift up this bouquet of flowers and say to the Lord, I've gathered, gathered these throughout the day. Here you are, Lord, that it's all yours and it's all you're doing. A wonderful imagery of Cory collecting all of these compliments, not for herself, but as a gift that she'd wrap in a bouquet and give to her Savior at the end of the day. The scripture specifically refers to practicing humility within the church, as I mentioned, and with our brothers and sisters. And doing this grows and maintains unity within the church. How are you cultivating humility, brothers and sisters? Are you one of those who always has to win an argument in church gatherings because you think you are more knowledgeable than others? Are you the church member who thinks your time is more valuable than everyone else's and arrives late for church meetings and functions? Are you the one who keeps your talents only for yourself, not for the edification and growth of the body in the church, preferring instead to use these for your own enrichment and not the enrichment of God's church? All of these are signs of pride. Humility is the opposite of these. I challenge you to continually assess whether you fall into any of these areas and to purpose in your heart to strive in putting others' needs ahead of your own. Kent Hughes in his commentary on Ephesians says that pride and self-promoting arrogance sow disunity, but a humble, gentle man or woman is like a caressing breeze. This is how the church remains unified and grows. The second character trait that Paul lists is gentleness or meekness, which is sometimes referred to in different translations. This meekness is not weakness. Meekness is rather strength under control. There is nothing spineless or timid about it. Jesus describes himself with both of these words, saying, I am gentle and lowly in heart. We see his steel-like meekness in two ways. First, in respect to himself, his power not to practice retaliation and his ability to forgive, and second, in his fierce defense of others or of the, of the truth. The meekness imagery which comes to mind here is when I rough and tumble with the kids. So basically, I'm clearly bigger than my 13-year-old and 15-year-old. But what I like to do in rough or tumble, we kind of get down and we fight and all the rest of it, but I restrain myself because I love them and I don't want to hurt them and I care for them. And sometimes, even at the cost of pain to myself, 
My daughter's recently learned how to punch really hard and she likes to use me as a punching bag. But that's the imagery. I restrain myself even though I know I'm stronger than her. Right? And that's really what this meekness conveys. The creator who flung stars into the universe comes down to our level, hides his strength and plays rough and tumble with us. Man, that really humbles me. Can you see how humility and weakness go together, hand in hand? How are you practicing meekness in the church? You may be spiritually older than some of the younger members of our church community, but instead of lording this over them in strength, come beside them in meekness and show Christ in shepherding them. When someone hurts or humiliates you or makes you the brunt of a joke, you may have the power to really escalate it or come back with some sharp words and clever counter-arguments. But a meek person knows that they have this power and chooses instead to turn the other cheek. When you feel you need to correct someone, do so with persuasion and kindness rather than domination and intimidation. Strive to actively seek to make others in the church feel at ease. Do not belittle, degrade or gossip about a brother or sister who has fallen. Instead, grieve and pray for their repentance. The third character trait that Paul lists is patience. There's something quite assuring about a person who is confident in the Lord's timing, not willing to be tempted into the hustle and bustle of haste and worry. Sometimes we want answers to life's problems as soon as possible, Lord. We want God to move now, now, and answer our prayers the moment they leave our lips. And we are often disappointed when we feel that the Lord has not listened to our extensive wish list and, answered, and has not answered them to our liking. The lack of patience, this patient attitude cascades into how we engage with others in the church. For example, where you might express some exasperation when others aren't doing things your way. Or where you feel impatient when you ask someone to help and they respond with, I need to pray about it first. There's a wonderful saying that says, he who waits on the Lord loses no time. What is the impact of someone who is not patient on the unity of the Lord? Proverbs 15 says, a hot-tempered man stirs up strife, but he who is slow to anger quiets contention. Psalms 37 says, be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself, it tends only to evil. Two things seem to go hand in hand with those who are not patient. They are quick to anger because they don't get their way, and they worry and fret because it's not happening quite, quite according to their, their way. James O. Fraser, which is a British missionary to China, once said, My mistake has too often been that of too much haste, but it is not the people's way to hurry, nor is it God's way either. Hurry means worry, and worry effectually drives the peace of God from the heart. What about you, church family? Since character is shaped by practice, how can you practice patience? I know from my own experience that if you ask the Lord to help you with patience, he's going to send a whole heap of things to test your patience. So ask expectantly and prepare yourself for what the Lord will provide. Here are a few practical everyday tips that I've found quite useful when it comes to patience. Make yourself wait for things. 
in this instant gratification environment, you know, we, we really are used to getting things immediately. But just practice certain daily habits like save money and spend it with joy once you've taken the time to save it and you really appreciate something that you've bought and avoid the credit card along the way. Be mindful of the things that make you impatient and ask your family and friends to hold you accountable in this area. I've often done that with Lara and the kids. They left the door open with them. If you see daddy doing this and losing his temper for these things, you've got full permission to drag me over the coals and deal with it. Make yourself accountable. Be slow to anger with those who offend you in the church. Take time doing things. I often use this technique called the Pomodoro technique, which is really, I use it for business, but I recently found it quite useful just in taking some time to meditate on the Lord. It basically says, work for 25 minutes and then take a three minute break. Work for 20 minutes. I can get in the habit of just knuckling down and five hours later, I'm wondering why I can't even stand up anymore. So it's a really good technique to get the blood flowing and all the rest of it. And instead of using those three minutes to go and grab a cup of coffee or something, you can use them to read a piece of scripture, memorize a piece of scripture, or just meditate on the things of the Lord and what you're struggling with. Just build some of these rhythms just to slow down and take a rest. Luke has been preaching quite a bit on this rest topic. And these are much smaller little micro breaks that we can actually take to slow us down and create a countenance of patience. So we've looked at humility meekness and patience our fourth and final character trait is forbearance well well that's just a nice big word for basically saying we need to be able to bear with one another's weaknesses and shortcomings this is actually almost a culmination of all the other traits that i've spoken about bearing with one another in love means far more than just tolerating that person our love for one another must oil all of our relationships the apostle peter who began as a proud, rough, impatient man, says in his first letter, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart and a humble mind. And above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Romans 14 and 15 is also a great section of scripture that teaches us to bear with the failings of the weak, teaching us instead to build one another up as opposed to bringing them down. The truth that radiates from verse 2 in our Ephesians text is that Christian unity doesn't begin with an external, an external structure. It rather begins in the attitudes of the heart. Humility and meekness and patience and loving tolerance for one another. The unity of the spirit that Paul is talking about here takes people who are so different and makes them live in a soul-satisfying unity. Well, what diversity there is in the average church. Ken Chu says that there's a huge differences amongst us. Think of all the body types there are in the church. Tall, short, round, thin, muscular, unathletic. Imagine all the mental types that are actually in the church. Nervous, calm, mathematical, artistic, musical, on and on the list goes of all of our differences. But when the spiritual fruits of humility, meekness, patience and forbearance reign, there is unity amongst us, even though we have all these differences. Christian unity is profound. Christian unity in profound diversity brings great glory to God. Jesus has done 
what is necessary to form this united church. And we, as Christians, now have the important duty of maintaining this oneness, a unity rooted and grounded in the abundance, abundant love of our Saviour. Verse 46, 46 now speaks of the one body, the one spirit, the one baptism, the one hope. One spirit, of course, is the Holy Spirit, the one who joins believers to Christ and to one another, making believers from different backgrounds able to live together as they strive with his help to maintain this unity. The one body that Paul refers to is the unified community of believers, which includes both those living today and those already that have gone to glory to be with Christ. Our one hope that Paul refers to is the reality of our future resurrected life that we all experience in fullness in the new heaven. In other words, that's our hope, that future re resurrected life, that, the, that unity that we actually have striving for that one hope. Even now, the Holy Spirit grants to all of God's elect the assurance of this hope, a hope that belongs to everyone who trusts in Christ alone for salvation. Although we all have different roles in the body of Christ, our call is the same, to live together in loving unity with other believers as we worship the Lord in the beauty of his holiness and proclaim the gospel to the world. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we love your word. And Father, we ask your forgiveness as we hold up the character traits that are needed to keep your church unified, Lord. And it's as though a mirror reflects back to us, Heavenly Father, and we see that, Lord, often we're blowing it. And we're, we're, we're not meeting most of these character traits. But, Lord, your word has said that you've given us grace and you've given us your spirit and you've given us prophets and teachers and evangelists to help us along the way. Thank you, Lord, for these gifts. May we strive for maturity in these character areas. May we strive for maturity in unity within our church. Lord, not fighting over the small things, but being united in the truth that is Christ, the Savior of humanity. Thank you, Lord, for your word and your challenges that you've given us this morning. Amen. Well, what perfect opportunity to celebrate unity than with communion. And while I'm having a talk, now might be a good time for you to go and grab the elements as we prepared you last week. So as your families, grab the, the bread and the wine and uh, really let's together as a community in Christ meet around this really, really special moment. And that's really what this word implies, doesn't it? We think of communion and it does imply community, sharing around a common belief that is Christ. That's what communion is all about. That's what we're remembering now, that through all of our differences, Christ has united us as one body and one church. So many differences, but we have an eternal God and an eternal Savior in common. And by my calculation, there's this heap of eternity things that we have in common with very little that is not in common. That sounds like a good mathematical equation to me. So although we're separated from each other through this virus, we are united in Christ through his Spirit. If you are not part of this body because you do not belong to the family of God, the invitation is always open for you. It's open for you to put your faith and trust in Christ and become part of this wonderful family of Jesus. Jesus says, come to me, 
all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. What a wonderful invitation to be part of this family of Christ. So on the night when he was betrayed, Jesus took the bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And I said, we all partake of the bread now as a family in Christ. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Do this, and as often as you drink it, in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let us drink the cup together. Let's pray together. Thank you, Lord, for your communion. Lord, thank you that we have been reminded both through your word and through this communion together of the wonderful joy that you have brought in which you brought us all together. Lord, sin broke your creation and separated your people and drove us to the corners of the world. But Lord, because of Christ, he has brought us together and unified us as one big family. And we thank you that we've had the opportunity to celebrate this through your communion today. Lord, I pray for those listening to this recording, those that don't know you. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit works in their hearts and minds. Lord, that they see that we as Christians, we are not perfect people. We are forgiven and we continue to be forgiven by our Saviour. And Lord, we thank you that we have, we're united together. We're not alone. Even though we're separated, sometimes locked in our homes, we're not alone, Lord. We have one another because of who we have in common, and that is you, O Lord. So bless our church family as we go our separate ways. And thank you, O Lord, for your wonderful blessings this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, thank you, church family. Looking forward to seeing you soon. God bless. Bye-bye. Thanks for tuning in to Follow Online. To stay updated, go to follow.church. As the people of God, let's stay connected and follow the words of Jesus to love one another.